My beloved brothers and sisters, this is indeed a challenge and an opportunity, a privilege that I had not anticipated and yet one of these great opportunities to do that which I have been called to do for the past five years, and that is to bear witness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those five years have been filled with experiences that have taught me, as I have learned in the last 40 years that I have been serving in various capacities of leadership in the Church, that God does hear and answers prayers, that there is power in the priesthood, and that in that power and authority to act in His name, great things happen in the lives of people. I have in mind today a blessing given to someone precious and close to me who was told by her physicians that the child that she was to bear would unquestionably be mongoloid and recommended an abortion. She refused and in the next few weeks calls from the hospital and others came encouraging that the little fetus be aborted. Finally, in desperation, she called her doctor and said, Get those people off my back. This little child will have a right to life regardless of its condition. Well, she had been given a priesthood blessing and had been promised that the little child would be normal and healthy. When the little child was born, so it was. And I have thought how many times in her life she would have cause to have reflected had she been following that counsel which is contrary to that which had been given by her father. I recall not too long ago in Brisbane, Australia, a precious child by the name of Sharon who had cystic fibrosis and had spent nearly as much time in the hospital in the last ten years as she had in her home. She was downcast and desperate, uh, feeling that God had forgotten her and that there was no chance. And after a priesthood blessing in which she was told to trust in the Lord with all of her heart and lean not to her own understanding, that He would guide and direct her. And then came the words uh, that frightened somewhat. Sharon, there will come into your lifetime medical advances which will correct the problem and alleviate the challenges that you are facing. Well, within 30 days in Melbourne, Australia, there came a medical announcement of a new drug, experimental in nature, that showed promise in uh, combating cystic fibrosis. Cheryl applied, and it has been successful. Today she spends very, very little time in a hospital, the rest of her time preparing for a career. My brothers and sisters, these are only two instances, but I want you to know that my testimony came when I was a little boy at the feet of my parents. I loved my parents, 
They taught me in the way of truth and righteousness. I was taught the story of the Restoration, and I believed with all my heart because I believed my parents. I remembered in the 46th section that the Lord said, To some it is given to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and to others it is given to believe on their words. Now I was one of those who believed on their words. To me the teachings of the first vision, the visits of Moroni and others, were as real as if they had been personal experiences of my own. I have never had a day in my life I can remember when I haven't known these things are true. I uh, pay tribute this day to a wife of some 50 years who has been at my side encouraging, sustaining, supporting, researching, if you please, and going when the going was tough. I want her and my children to know that I love her with all my heart and them with all of my heart. In the past two or three weeks, I have greeted most of my grandchildren, and I have shaken their hands and looked into their eyes and have said, Keep the faith, my child, it's true. Almost invariably, there has come the response, I will, Grandpa, I will. That has been through a span of some 21 years of age, 16, 14, 12, 9. Yes, Grandpa, I will. My greatest desire is to continue faithful, an example to my family, and hoping that one day the response will be, Yes, Grandpa, I have. I bear you my witness that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. Ezra Taft Benson is a prophet of God. I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Elder Neil A. Maxwell of the Council of the Twelve has just spoken to us. We come now to a conclusion of this great conference. President Benson asked Elder Monson in the opening session to read a message from him, which was beautiful and inclusive and of great value to us. He has felt that he would not speak in this session. We commemorated President Benson's 90th birthday last August 4th with a great celebration in this tabernacle, which was carried to the Church across the nation and even to some foreign areas. His life has been rich and wonderful and marvelous. His service has been tremendous and unceasing. His love for the people has been deep and magnificent. 
I know that he would have me express in his behalf his deep love for you, each of you, for members of the Church throughout the world, wherever they may be, and likewise an extension of that love to those who are not members of the Church. For he stands as a prophet of the Lord Jesus Christ, embracing in his life and in his authority as that prophet all of the love which the Lord would have his children receive. We ever pray for thee, our prophet dear. God bless you for your great leadership, for your dedicated service, for your example to us, for your love of God expressed through your service to his children. We express our sincere appreciation as we conclude this conference to the Mormon Youth Chorus, the Polynesian Choir, the Tabernacle Choir, and their conductors and organists for the beautiful and inspiring music given us during the conference. May I say concerning this choir which has sung for us today, this great tabernacle choir, which has become an institution in the Church and which has become, as expressed by a great national leader, a national treasure. These dedicated and wonderful people skillfully led and directed by good and able leaders. These people who sing the glories of God each week to a vast audience from sea to shining sea across this land and have been doing so for 60 years. Last July, that anniversary was celebrated here again in this tabernacle. Six decades without an interruption of singing as the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, representatives of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there is nothing like it in the history of broadcasting in this nation or in any other nation. 3,127 continuous programs, that number being the number of the program that was given this morning. We salute them. We honor them. We praise them. We thank them for their dedicated service and their unmatched contribution. The root of this choir lies in the soil of this block when a group of singers 140 years and more ago 
in the old bowery first and then in the old tabernacle which stood just to the south of us raised their voices in praise to God and they have gone on ever since and in the process grown better with age thank you so very very much we thank our city officials for the cooperation given this conference the Relief Society, the Doctors and Church Health Unit nurses who have been on hand to render service, and the ushers and interpreters. We express appreciation to local and national press representatives for the coverage of the conference. We are grateful for the owners and operators of the many radio and television stations and cable and satellite systems who have given time and made facilities available to carry sessions of this conference in many countries. The choir will sing, when I sit down, a Gaelic blessing, and the benediction will then be offered by Elder Malcolm S. Jepson of the Seventy. The conference will then stand adjourned for six months. As we conclude, may I leave with you in the form of a word of benediction some of the words of the Lord as set forth in his revelation. Now, therefore, cease from all your light speeches from laughter, from all your lustful desires, from all your pride and light-mindedness, and from all your wicked doings. See that ye love one another. Cease to be covetous. Learn to impart one to another as the gospel requires. Cease to be idle. Cease to be unclean. Cease to find fault one with another. And above all things, clothe yourselves with the bond of charity, as with a mantle which is the bond of perfectness and peace. Pray always that ye may not faint until I come. Behold, and lo, I will come quickly and receive you unto myself, saith the Lord. Amen. Our prayers go with you. May there come into your minds remembrances of the wonderful things we have heard as we have sat together as the saints of God and partaken of his everlasting truths, I humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. With all of you, I express my admiration to these wonderful men who are being released and whose status is being adjusted. They were exemplary at the time of their calls. They are even more so today, and they are portable sermons for us all.
My sermon was essentially prepared in June. It is for myself as well as for the members of the Church. Murmuring is defined as a half-suppressed resentment or muttered complaint. We all remember in Fiddler on the Roof Tevye's verbal asides to God. However, just as a yawn can be a silent shout, so murmuring can be much more than muted muttering. The real addressee of some of our murmuring is clearly the Lord, as when the people complained against Moses. At least Tevye honestly acknowledged whom he addressed. Murmuring seems to come so naturally to the natural man. It crosses the scriptural spectrum of recorded complaints. We need bread. We need water. The needed military reinforcements did not arrive. Why did we ever leave Egypt? Why did we ever leave Jerusalem? Some, perhaps understandably, murmured over persecution by unbelievers, and others even murmured over what the name of Christ Church should be. Most ironically, the coming forth of more scripture from God was to cause murmuring. An early scriptural instance of murmuring involved Cain's offering to the Lord, illustrating how our intentions are at least as important as our deeds. Cain was wroth that Abel's offering was acceptable, but not his. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we too worry if someone else seems to be more favored than we. Worse still, we want to be accepted of the Lord, but on our terms, not His. A basic cause of murmuring is that too many of us seem to expect that life will flow ever smoothly, featuring an unbroken chain of green lights with empty parking places just in front of our destinations. <laughs> in its extremity, murmuring reflects not only the feelings of the discontented, but also the feelings of the very conflicted. Their sorrowing was the sorrowing of the damned, because they could not take happiness in sin, and yet they did not come unto Jesus with broken hearts and contrite spirits, but they did curse God and wished to die. Nevertheless, they would struggle with the sword for their lives. In his parable of the vineyard workers, Jesus noted of disciples how those who work from the first hour, having borne the burden and the heat of the day, murmured because they received the same wages as those who worked only the last hour. We beggars are so concerned with our entitlements. Laman and Lemuel murmured against Father Lehi for leading him into the wilderness because of the foolish imaginations of his heart. This same depressing duo declared that Father Lehi had judged the Jerusalemites too harshly, yet Jerusalem was soon to fall. Lehi rebuked murmuring Laman and Lemuel for complaining over Nephi, saying hard things to them. Lehi noted, That which ye call anger was the truth. How often you and I, brothers and sisters, can make that same mistake. 
Cutting truth does hurt, but its lancing can drain off pride. There was murmuring, too, because Nephi broke his steel bow, couldn't build a ship, because he was seen as trying to rule over us. Those same murmurers, however, soon surfeited themselves on the meat brought back by Nephi's new bow, and they sailed in the ship that Nephi built. How handy inspired but imperfect leaders in the Church are as focal points for our frustrations, especially if circumstances require them to suffer in silence. Having confidence in leaders who keep confidences is part of sustaining them. Oliver Cowdery fell short of the coveted privilege of translating. He was told, Do not murmur, my son, for it is wisdom in me that I have dealt with you in this manner. Emma Smith was likewise told, Murmur not, when certain things were withheld from her. In pondering these and various examples of murmuring, several other things become obvious. First, the murmurer often lacks the courage to express openly his concerns. If the complaint concerns appear, the murmurer seldom follows Jesus' counsel. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Second, murmurers make good conversational cloak holders. Though picking up no stones themselves, they provoke others to do so. Third, while a murmurer insists on venting his own feelings, he regards any response thereto as hostile. Furthermore, murmurers seldom take into account the bearing capacity of their audiences. Fourth, murmurers have short memories. Israel arrived in Sinai, then on to the Holy Land, though they were sometimes hungry and thirsty. But the Lord rescued them, whether by miraculous quail or by water struck from a rock. Strange, isn't it, brothers and sisters, how those with the shortest memories have the longest list of demands. However, with no remembrance of past blessings, there is no perspective about what is really going on. This powerful verse in the Old Testament reminds us, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee, these forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Perspective makes such an enormous and constant difference in our lives. It shouldn't surprise us, therefore, that Satan, we're told, does not know the mind of God. Perhaps when we murmur, we are unconsciously complaining over not being able to cut a special deal with the Lord. We want full blessings, but without full obedience to the laws upon which those blessings are predicated. For instance, some murmurers seem to hope to reshape the Church to their liking by virtue of their murmuring. But why would one want to belong to a Church that he could remake in his own image, when it is in the Lord's image that we should come to?
to be and have in our countenances. The doctrines are His, brothers and sisters, not ours. The power is His to delegate, not ours to manipulate. One fundamental fact about murmuring is contained in this verse. And thus Laman and Lemuel did murmur because they knew not the dealings of that God who had created them. Like Laman and Lemuel, we too sometimes fail to understand the dealings of our God in our lives and in our times. Presidents Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball tried to discourage Thomas B. Marsh's murmuring, but to no avail. A repentant Brother Marsh later said, I must have lost the Spirit of the Lord out of my heart. I became jealous of the prophet and overlooked everything that was right and spent all my time in looking for the evil. I thought I saw a beam in Brother Joseph's eye, but it was nothing but a moat, and my own eye was filled with the beam. I got mad, and I wanted everybody else to be mad. I talked with Brother Brigham Young and Brother Heber C. Kimball. I wanted them to be mad like myself, and I saw that they were not mad, and I got madder still because they were not mad. Brother Brigham Young, with a cautious look, said, Are you the leader of the Church, Brother Thomas? I answered, No. Well then, said he, why do you not let that alone? Laborers in the Lord's vineyard who murmur over life's inequities, declared Jesus, murmur against the good man of the house. The goodness of the Lord is attested to in so many ways. Mansions await, yet we ungrateful guests still complain about the present accommodations. Those of deep faith do not murmur. They are generously disposed, and they are reluctant to murmur even while in deep difficulties, as with one group which said, Behold, perhaps ye are unsuccessful. If so, we do not desire to murmur. It mattereth not. We trust God will deliver us, notwithstanding the weakness of our armies. Exemplary Job, who went through so very much, was openly anxious that he not charge God foolishly. The pleading of one filled with faith, who is also concerned with the welfare of others, as with Joseph Smith in Liberty Jail, is not murmuring. It is not the murmuring of a superficial follower who is quick to complain and who is slow to endure. Reassurance and further instruction followed with Joseph. My son, peace be unto thy soul. Thine adversity and thine affliction shall be but a small moment. Damage to ourselves is a sufficient reason to resist murmuring, but another obvious danger is its contagiousness. Even faithful Father Lehi, for one brief moment, got caught up in the contagion of murmuring. Similarly, when Moses lapsed very briefly, it was under exasperating pressure from rebels. No one knows how to work a crowd better than the adversary. Instead of murmuring, therefore, being of good cheer is what is needed, and being of good cheer is equally contagious. We have clear obligations to so strengthen each other by doing things with cheerful hearts and countenances. 
Basic things over which the scriptures say we are to be of good cheer include the transcending blessing that our sins can be forgiven and that Jesus has overcome the world. These are marvelous blessings. Additionally, we are assured that the Lord is in our midst. He will lead us along. He will stand by us. By knowing that these everlasting things are firmly in place, can we not then better endure irritation, such as a dislocated travel schedule? Besides, brothers and sisters, how can it rain on the just and the unjust alike without occasionally raining on our personal parade? Of course there are ways provided, formal and informal, for expressing legitimate concerns and complaints and to do so productively. These avenues often go unused, especially if one's real desire is to celebrate his discontent. Letting off steam always produces more heat than light. True, we may merely gripe or grumble in a passing way. We may even do it cleverly. Still, even mild murmuring can be more pointed than we may care to admit. Some actually question God's capacity. This in the face of his assurance to us, I am able to do my own work. Therefore, murmuring can be another form of mocking God's plan of salvation. Yes, such individuals say God has an overall general plan, but we don't care for his specific timing. Yet the scriptures specifically advise us that all things must come to pass in their time. Yes, such individuals may acknowledge God, but they criticize His ways. We want things to be done in our ways, even though our ways are much lower ways. Furthermore, since God has told us He intends to try our faith and our patience, are not situations of stress the very settings from which such murmuring would emerge? Of course, unless we're careful. God accomplishes things, brothers and sisters, in process of time. This calls for our patience. Moreover, doing things in process of time is His way of either preserving our agency or of providing us with needed opportunity. In fact, certain experiences over which we might understandably murmur can actually be for our good. Thus, you and I may think God is merely marking time when He is actually marking openings for us, openings which are sorely needed. Even then, we are so slow to use those openings in order to escape from the familiar cell of selfishness. Murmuring can also be noisy enough that it drowns out the various spiritual signals to us, signals which tell us in some cases to quit soaking ourselves in the hot tubs of self-pity. Murmuring over the weight of our crosses not only takes energy otherwise needed to carry them, but might cause another to put down his cross altogether. 
Besides, brothers and sisters, if we were not carrying so much else, our crosses would be much lighter. The heaviest load we feel is often from the weight of our unkept promises and our unresolved sins, which press down relentlessly upon us. Yet any genuine surrendering to God, one says, Behold, I will give away all my sins to know thee. To whom shall we give our sins? Only Jesus is both willing and able to take them. Finally, non-murmurers are permitted to see so much more. Ancient Israel was once compassed about with a great host of hostile horses and chariots. Elisha counseled his anxious young servant, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. The prophet then prayed that the Lord would open the young man's eyes. And then he saw, and behold, the mountain was filled with horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Elisha's counsel can help church members today to silence our murmuring. Regardless of how things seem or come to seem in troubled times, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. My brothers and sisters, if our lips are closed to murmuring, then our eyes can be opened. I so pray for us all in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. My beloved brethren and sisters, I'm grateful for this opportunity that is mine to bear my witness of the divinity of this great work and testify to all the world that we are led by a prophet of God. I don't think I've heard any more convincing words of love than when we are in the temple with President Benson and his dedicated counselors, and he says, I love you, my brethren. I love every one of you, my brethren. From the depths of his heart, he has proclaimed to us the true significance of love for our fellow men. A few years ago, while we were in Sydney, Australia, we received a letter from one of our grandchildren. And he says, Dear Grandma and Grandpa, I just turned 12 years of age, and the bishop called me into the office. And he said, I have some questions to ask of you, Bruce. Bruce, you're 12 years of age now, and so I need to know if you love the Lord. And I told him, I do. Do you say bad words, Bruce? No, Bishop. I never say bad words. Do you love your mother and dad? Yes, Bishop, I do. Do you pay your tithing, Bruce? And Bruce says, yes, I do, Bishop. And you know, Grandpa and Grandma, the Bishop says that I could receive the Aaronic Priesthood because I was 12 years of age. 
And uh, he asked me if I knew what the Aaronic priesthood was. And he's, I told him that I knew a little bit and that I could be ordained a deacon. And you know, the next week, the bishop asked who I would like to be ordained by. He said, I'd like to be ordained by my daddy. And so my daddy put his hands upon my head, and the bishop stood around, and so did my uncles. And they conferred the Aaronic priesthood upon me and ordained me a deacon. Now, Grandma and Grandpa, you're a long way away, but I know that you're a general authority, and someday you'll come home. And you know, I can't wait till you come home because I know you'll sit on the stand, and then, Grandpa, I can pass the sacrament to you. I think that's the true meaning of love of families. I express my love to my devoted sweetheart and eternal companion. I'm grateful for the matriarch, the matriarch that she is in our family. I'm grateful for each of our children, grateful for their families. I'm grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ for His atoning sacrifice. I've come to know Him more assuredly as I sat in council with your great leaders, prophets, seers, and revelators. I testify to you that they are men of God. I like a scripture that I reflect upon frequently, and I think of it when I think of them. For ye were set to be a light unto the world and to be saviors of men. I bear witness that those who come into the kingdom will eventually say of those who have helped them come into the kingdom, You were a light unto me and I acknowledge you as literally to be a Savior to me. One of the favorite scriptures that I have and that I might share with you is, it says, Search diligently, pray always, and be believing, and all things shall work together for your good if you walk uprightly and remember the covenant wherewith ye have covenanted one with another. There is an inscription on the walls inscribed in granite on a temple here in Salt Lake City. It's of the Ursa Major, or the Great Bear, or commonly known to you as the Big Dipper. If you were to project a line from the bottom two stars, which is opposite the handle, it would point and bisect the North Star. The mariners and those who have been lost at sea or those who have been lost on land have looked to the North Star to find their bearings. I bear witness that there is, figuratively speaking, a North Star leading us today. A beloved prophet of God, look to him. He will point you to the way of truth and righteousness. Look to the Savior for he will give you life eternal. Again, I express my love to you, President Benson, to your dedicated and devoted counselors, to the general authorities, and to the body of the Church for your love and sustaining influence. We have come to love you in the islands. We have come to love you in Europe, where we have served. We have come to love the saints all over the world. My lovely companion and I shall ever remember this association with grateful hearts as we bear witness of the atoning sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
I bear witness that the Church has been restored, that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God, as is a living prophet a day, President Ezra Taft Benson, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.